Would you pause with me as we pray together? Our God, we open up our hearts and our minds to you, asking that you would speak, that you would allow us to hear the message that you have intended for each person here. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Music is such an important part of life, isn't it? It is an important part of my life. Can I get anyone here that can testify that when you're doing something unpleasant, music makes it better? Cooking, cleaning, anything else. If you have a good song, it might take longer, but it's still all better, right? We feel better when we're worshiping, when we're singing, when we're dancing. There's a reason it lifts us up. How many of you have also found that music can cause you to time travel? Anyone? I didn't look at the bulletin coming in and I was so moved by each of the songs this morning in both services because they both, they all had meaning for me. But especially there were some, I, in this song of when we all get to heaven, I was immediately back in a basement church in Philadelphia in the basement there as we were all just singing it out so loud that the walls reverberate. Followed quickly by, I've got a mansion up over the hilltop, because that was usually accompanied. Sometimes people singing with tears streaming down their eyes as we think of a day better than the one right now. I also remembered being in a small bedroom that we had turned into our office in Berrien Springs, Michigan, after my dad had called me and told me that he had cancer and that it was aggressive. And... As I heard that news, one of the songs was How Great Is Our God. That was one that I listened to right away because it sustained me in the power of this God. And though we did bury him at 54 years old, God's power and strength continued to sustain me in that time. And then the transition in that song to this other part that we look around and we see that our God is, how great thou art, is our God is alive and active in the world. And that's the song that we're going to sing on Monday morning as we stand graveside for my grandmother's memorial service. The last grandparent between my husband and I as I stand there with my family. There are ways that music takes us back to times. And there's ways that music takes us forward towards time as we imagine that song holding us, that praise holding us in that place. What songs come back to your mind? Is there a song that came to you just now as you think, that song got me through high school, or that was my theme song of college, or that was our wedding song, or do you remember that season? How many of you have songs that mark the seasons of your life? Do you remember? Does it take you back? Yeah. What you may not know is not only does music make you feel better, not only can music make you time travel, but music also keeps you healthier. And the latest research from John Hopkins says that it keeps your brain young. That if you want to work out your body, you should go do some physical activity. But if you want to work out your mind, you should listen to music. It's like a total brain workout. According to the research, music allow, improves your overall health, decreasing blood pressure, stress, and anxiety, improving sleep quality, mental alertness, even memory can be improved 
by listening to music. Now you're like, what kind of music? Well, that depends on the person. And they could find different results depending on what that person was particularly uh, in favor of, enjoyed, liked. But music had this tremendous power in recent studies to lift people from where they were and bring them to somewhere else. I think that's why David was sustained by the songs. Psalms were songs, prayers, poems, because in every season that he was going through, there were words that he expressed to God in these psalms that carried him through. Songs that lifted him up and got him through the highs and the lows of his life. Now, we know in this series, Psalms of Summer, that not only were the psalms important for the people before Christ lived, but these psalms were actually the songbook and the prayer book for Jesus himself. So it gives it even more meaning. As I read these words, I imagine Jesus himself memorizing, hearing these words, singing these words, walking along with his disciples and being lifted by these words. Can you picture Jesus there with dust on his feet, walking along or early in the morning praying I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry, lifted me out of the slimy pit above the mud and mire, setting my feet on the rock. Maybe Jesus even started singing a new song, a hymn of praise to his God who had lifted him up from where he was because Jesus was God and human and so he had all the same experience that we had. Can you imagine these words as sustaining the Son of God, as he walked through his mission here on earth. So when we go to these words, this psalm today, and our psalm of the day is Psalm 40, when we go to these words, they are rich with meaning because they not only sustained the people of God during the time of David himself and onward, but they also sustained Christ himself as he was here. So our Psalm 40 today is also, you'll find a whole section of it is Psalm 70. So if you read Psalm 70, it's a short psalm, it is printed completely in its entirety as a part of Psalm 40 as well. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I love that there's this blending of these songs because I imagine David expressing this from his heart, from his life, from his journey with God. As God walked him through each part, he was carried along in song. This one today has a lot of significance for me. It's particularly meaningful. I invite you to turn there. Psalm 40. I want you to hear it in its entirety at first. And maybe some of you might just close your eyes and hear the word of the Lord. Some of you might leave them open to hear the word of the Lord. But I invite you to hear the word of the Lord for you today. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, above the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed are those who make the Lord their trust, who don't look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you, 
Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who seek my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled by their own shame. May those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. The word of the Lord for you and I today. This psalm, this opening line, I waited patiently for the Lord. In this instance, does not capture what the Hebrew could be translated as. Literally, it means waiting I waited. And one commentator says specifically, especially it has no indication of quiet resignation. No indication of patience, but just simply waiting. Which might be good news for you today if you're not so good at patiently waiting for the Lord. The Spanish Old Testament scholar Luis Alonso Soquel offers an alternative in La Biblia de Nuestro Pueblo, a translation that is prepared for pilgrim peoples of America Latina, which includes the United States of America. You might see this here. Yo esperaba impacientemente, impacientemente al Señor. That's my best. All right. I waited. Thanks. I waited impatiently for the Lord. It's a better translation, more accurate. Waiting, I waited, I waited, I waited. I waited. Did you get that I waited? Impatiently waiting for the Lord. The psalmist's focus is not that this person was patiently waiting, oh Lord, hear my prayer, I trust you, but rather the action of God. Because the action of God was to pull them from the slimy pit, to take them from the mud and the mire and to place their feet on solid ground. It's not about how you wait or how you cry out. You see, God is ready and willing to hear us no matter how we cry out. The focus is not on how patiently or how deep your trust is as you're waiting, but rather that God is hearing. My kids have a way of getting my attention like no one else can. You can hear someone else call your name, but if there's a kid and you are that kid's responsible parent, right, you can recognize when they call out to you. But especially at home or when 
My kids are trying to get my attention. They grab both sides of my cheek and turn me. Mom, do you hear me? I like the witness there. Yeah, turning, holding both sides. The psalmist says that God turned to me and heard my cry. So God didn't just answer with back to them, yes, you can, sure, go ahead, or I'll help you in a minute. But God turned. You have my full attention, God says. I am turned to you. You're not praying to the ceiling. You're not praying to the sky. You are praying to a God who is listening to you, a God who is hearing you, who is turned towards you, face to you, hearing your cry. The psalmist testifies that God heard, God turned and God heard. When we speak, God hears. That's the reality. That's the truth. Though we don't always feel it, God is hearing. It's like you're whispering into the ear of the Almighty, that child who is so close that they can whisper and the parent hears. God hears your whisper. God hears your cry. In verse 4, this psalm takes a really interesting turn because the change is from singular experience to plural. The language shifts to plural. The testimony of the psalmist, which is, I was in this place, it was impossible, and God lifted me and put me in a different place on solid ground, is for everyone. The testimony of the believer is for the community And so as the psalmist cries out, you took me to a place that was different than I was before. It's for the believers, the whole people. It says, all of us. You see, the lament as well as the praise are for the company of believers. We need all of them right here in this place. We need to expect as we come to church that we'll hear stories of someone saying, my feet are now on the solid rock, and stories of people saying, I'm still in the pit, it's slimy down here, but I'm crying out to God, and we need both. And so the psalmist shifts to this language in talking to God of plural language. The news of a person's deliverance is not private. It's intended to be sung and told and declared in the company of the great congregation, as verse 10 says. Our experience makes us spokespeople for God's faithfulness. For you, it might be something that happened 10 years ago or yesterday, but it could be life to someone else as they hear your story. In verse 5, my story becomes our story, as the language is second-person plural. You see, when God does something in my life, it's for you too. When God redeems you, it's for me too. All of our stories interacting in the body of Christ. Believers are invited to tell and retell, proclaim and sing the glories of God. That God has done something. That something has happened to us It could be that someone is in the very experience that you were in years ago. I had this experience where on the phone someone was describing to me what they are going through and I could feel the feelings rise from past because I've been in that exact place and I knew beyond just knowing and listening because we can all hear and understand the feelings and emotions of someone else but when you've been through it before, you remember it differently. You feel it. 
And so we're meant to tell and retell our story because someone else right now is where you once were. And by telling that story, we give hope and life to each other as I need your story and you need my story. Commentator Marianne McKibben Dana points out the redemptive power of community by saying that God sets the psalmist's feet on the rock, a place of security and strength. And in the Gospel of John, Peter, Simon, is given a new name, Cephas, Peter, which means rock. It is the rock on which Jesus Christ will build his church. The capital R is Jesus Christ, like Pastor Mike just said, capital R. But Peter is called Little Rock. Yeah, not Arkansas. No, Little Rock in the scriptures. It's the small, lowercase r, that, that there's this God, Jesus, who is the capital R, Rock, that we build our whole faith upon. But she goes on to say, in this comparison between the two, she asks the question, could it be that the sturdy rock on which God sets our feet is Jesus Christ, as well as a body of people dedicated to the way of Jesus? So in other words, God lifts you up, lifts me up out, sets our feet on the rock of Christ, and does so through the testimony of other believers that make up that foundation. It's like we're like cement, a bunch of rocks mixed together with the bonding of Christ, able to be that firm foundation by the power of the Holy Spirit. By saying, many will see and fear, the psalmist is aware that others are listening and watching, that we are all watching each other's lives. But that it's not about any of us, not the psalmist or the people listening, but about the one who rescues, about the one who is there for each one of us. Now, this psalm is not all praise and it's not all lament. In verse 11, it shifts to the current trial. You see, Psalm 40 goes from trial to deliverance to trial again. So we go through this journey with the psalmist who's crying out in current distress, present language, and you might wonder, how did we get there? We just were praising God that you were in the muck and the mire, now your feet are on the solid rock, and then how are we back again to you saying, oh God, rescue me? What are we doing? We just celebrated your deliverance, and now in the very same song, you're now crying out in your distress? This psalm, though, is true to life, isn't it? That it's not a once and done. We would love it if somehow being delivered by God would cause us to be immune for the rest of our lives to the pain of this world. That somehow God delivered me would mean that I am good the rest of my life. But the psalmist shows what life is really like. You rescued me, O oh God. You placed my feet on solid ground. And now, would you help me where I am now? Because I'm desperate to be rescued again. The one whose feet was on the solid rock now finds themselves in the pit again. Perhaps a different pit, perhaps a different trial, perhaps a different challenge. But there is this journey of deliverance and trial, deliverance and trial, and the psalmist is honest about it. The psalmist says, you helped me then, so I can have the courage to know that you'll help me now. So the psalmist is doing this, this song with complete transparency that 
There's this ongoing daily living, deliverance and trial and deliverance and trial and deliverance and trial. And so the rock is solid as the psalmist continues to go through the journey. Now that's where I think that this middle part is a remix. This verses 14 to 17, verses 14 to 16 is Psalm 70 in its entirety. Now, some commentators wondered which one came first and how did it become included, but David is attributed authorship for both. Have you ever had a time when you were given a particular song? Now, some of you, that's really literally a song. There were some songwriters in first service and there are some here right now. You were given a song in a particular season, a particular word from God, and then you live a little bit more and God brings that experience along with you but then adds to it. And suddenly there's more song for the current, right? So there's this part, which was where God led you before. And then there's more. And the song becomes different. It's like a remix. David himself is including parts from the other psalm. But he's also including the other parts of his story. So he's saying, this was my experience. And now this is my experience now. There's this blending of the two from different seasons and David is finding himself in trial, starting with praise, remembering what God did, and then ending with lament. But notice he doesn't sound distressed. It sounds like he trusts that there's strength for the current crisis based on the past. It's like one commentator says, in the grip of trouble, the psalmist praises God for both being yesterday's sure-footing and for being the promise of tomorrow's hope. You are yesterday's grounding and you are tomorrow's hope. And by looking at what God did earlier, we can have the confidence in God's steady, faithful love now. This is what gives us the assurance that God's salvation will come in this crisis too. It's true for us. The same God who took you through that time before is the same God who will carry you through it now. Telling and retelling the story gives us courage to face what we are going through. Telling and retelling your story isn't just for you, but just like the psalm says, it's for the whole company of believers, that we're lifted up by it. I was a part of a very special anointing this week. And after we prayed and after we had that moment, there were stories that were rising from around the room of God's faithfulness. And I could tell that we were all shaped by those stories, ones that we thought and ones that we said aloud, but story after story of God's faithfulness. And as we heard and remembered and recalled God's faithfulness, we could tell that it was shaping, those experiences shaped us, but also God shaped us through it. And I left with heart lifted because the same God who did those things is the same God who we're crying out to now. Which brings me, of course, to the cassowary bird. I'm heading to Australia in just a few weeks, and this bird is the third largest bird. And ostrich, emu, cassowary, second heaviest, but third largest, of course, of these birds. But the cassowary bird is found on this incredible continent. And it's really amazing. Over 90% of its diet is made up of fruit, and it goes around and helps to create this diverse ecosystem. But they're seeing how interconnected the environment and the animals are, right? 
So I was reading some different scholarly reports about this interconnectivity between certain types of trees and the cassowary bird, one in particular. Now it's amazing, this tree that you're seeing right here is really hard to propagate. And they're concerned for maintaining biodiversity, so they're trying to figure out, like, how can we propagate this tree? Because we don't want to lose this. But this tree has a 4% germination rate. Out of all the seeds, like 4%, like, how do you get this thing to grow? This is really unique to this one coastal region. How do you get this thing to grow? But then they watched and observed closer. And when the seed is eaten by the cassowary and is excreted, it actually has a much higher likelihood of germinating. 92% likelihood of germination. Imagine that, to go from 4% to 92% just by passing through the gut of this creature, right? The cassowary gut apparently is really harsh. It's a very acidic environment. So they've tried to manufacture this in the lab. They've tried to do this. The tree itself is a rare Australian rainforest tree. Ripe, this is harder than the Spanish section. Riparosa kerengi. There you go. So you can look it up. But it has this very restricted distribution along the coastal lowland in North Queensland, Australia. But what they found is that actually going through this gut, this acidic environment, prepares it to grow. That going through the gut of the cassowary bird actually allows it to be ready to grow. The seeds are activated by the acid of the bird's stomach. And I don't like this reality, this which I'm about to speak, but I have found it to be true. That our growth is activated in those moments we would never hope for. That our growth is activated by going through harsh situations, challenges, trials, environments that we would never pick. That the seed of God isn't always able to germinate outside of harsh environments and situations and challenges that we go through that we would have never chosen. God values our character often over our comfort. The more I live, the more I'm convinced that this life is about trust. That we don't pick our experiences. And so many times I cry out to God and I say, why is this person going through this? Because didn't you see they went through this and then this and then this and then this? Why this now? Have you ever prayed for someone like that? Like, why this? After all of this. We don't choose those. It's no reflection on your life or someone else's life. Like Jesus said for the man who was born blind, and they said, is it his parents or him that sinned? And Jesus said, no, 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 for the glory of God. And I believe that's true whether it's of healing or whether it's through how you journey through life gives glory to God because I have witnessed in you that you have gone through extremely harsh, acidic environments, extremely difficult situations, and you've leaned into God and you've turned and looked to the eyes of your Redeemer. You've lifted up your eyes to the hills from where your help came from. And it's not always help through healing. It's help through carrying you along through it. But somehow, we are activated through the challenge. And somehow through the trial, stuff is stripped away in our lives and 
somehow the mysterious work of God. We don't always know how to explain it. We aren't saying that God wants us to hurt. We don't believe that God is the author of any pain or trial or trouble, but somehow God uses even this for good. And so the psalmist declares that in my distress you delivered me, and then he's back in trial again. He's back in the heart of trouble crying out to God again. But as he does, as it's stripped away, as he's finding himself in this environment, he's leaning in to his redeemer. He's leaning in to the growth of God. So I want to ask you, I want to ask myself, what does the experience you're going through now activate in you? What does the experience you're going through, the slimy pit, the mud, the mire, how does this environment activate the seed of growth in you? What is God doing through this? Right here today, we are a psalm book, a song book of redemption songs. As I look out, I know some of your songs. I know some of your past deliverance. We are a living song. Many of you have stories, you have redemption, you have deliverance that you have lived through. And your song, and your song, and your song, and your song are what give us all the courage to keep walking. Uh, it's a more, more dramatic case, but one church member was retelling their story, and they're like, I don't know why I keep retelling this. It's been so many years but God impressed me to tell you this. And they were telling another member that there was a time that it was so dark for them that they didn't feel like they were going to be able to keep living. And this other member was recounting to me that they had no idea how that kept them alive, kept them hopeful. Because if that spiritual person, if that person that God clearly loved could be going through such pain and look to God in it, then they could too. Telling and retelling our story, retelling our redemption song, retelling how you were giving care to your mother or father and you were caregiving and you just felt like you were so exhausted but you kept going and you tell that story to someone else who's in the midst of it now that gives them hope and courage. When you retell the story of how God came through and provided for you financially when you didn't have it, someone else needs to hear that story. When you tell the story of infertility and God provided for you a family, God speaks through that redemption story. We each have different stories, but in the midst of it, in the midst of the trial we would have never chosen, God encourages and strengthens each and every one of us by the body of Christ being lifted up, remembering the strength of our deliverer. What helps us to make it through is to keep telling and retelling our story. Not just one story, but continuing on. The psalmist reminds us that we move from trial to deliverance to trial again, and sometimes those who have the most beautiful stories of deliverance might find themselves in trial again. We sing out, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. It takes vulnerability and it takes courage, but the psalmist invites us to not conceal your love or your faithfulness from the great assembly, but to join in the song of praise. Now, it can't be faked. It's so clear when it's an authentic story of God's deliverance. But the psalmist 
invites us to let it bubble up from in us. That we can't help, we can't hide that God has made our way secure. God invites us to not conceal our story. To tell and to retell. So I recognize today that we might have some that feel their feet are standing on the solid rock. And we might have others today that find themselves in the slimy pit, crying out for God's deliverance. From wherever you are, I invite you to do two things in response to today's message. I invite you to think back of a concrete, specific story of when God delivered you. Think back to a time when God delivered you. And I want you to tell one person today, to retell that story of God's deliverance. And then the second invitation is that you, it could be a different person, Tell someone of a current place in your life that you feel like you're in a pit, that you need God's deliverance. That you tell a story of God's deliverance in the past and that you tell of how you're waiting God's deliverance now. Because that, the psalmist says, is the cycle of our lives. Do not conceal your story, but lift it up in praise.